Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. Wanted to mention a couple of resources, as we often do around here. We are people of the book, and we're people of learning, and first and foremost, we want to study the scriptures and be students of the word and doers of the word, and we carefully pick certain resources in our resource center out there, and we have a, t- a table, and we highlight things on it, and I actually photocopied a chapter because we're going to be looking at the ministry of Jesus today, looking at deliverance, and I photocopied a chapter from Sam Storm's new book on spiritual warfare, and he has a chapter on how Christians continue the deliverance ministry of Jesus, and it is outstanding. It's excellent, very readable, very clear, and of course, if Sam Storms does it, it's incredibly biblical, rooted in the scriptures. So I would encourage you to pick up that chapter out there to read, and if you're interested in buying the whole book, we also have four or five copies out there. I also want to mention something that I'm just not uh, very inclined to do. I've actually published a book, so I want to mention that, that I've got a book on the spiritual life that's out there, and um, I would encourage you to check that out. It's essentially encouraging Christians to look at some of the rich Christian classics on life in Christ. And so it's a journey in a classic Christian spirituality, and it's a book that was really born in a tough time. Uh, When Amanda and I were in our spiritual desert for seven years, this is a book that was written in, in that time. And so you can check that out. I'd even sign it for you if you want me to. So that's going to be the extent of my promotion of that. So, all right, well, get your Bibles out. We are going to be looking at the deliverance ministry of Jesus last week. Thank you to Connie. She looked at the important role of prayer in the life of Jesus and in the ministry of Jesus, and it undergirds everything for Jesus. He was regularly spending time with the Father as Connie said, so that he could do what the Father was doing, John 5, 19. So we started this series by looking at the kingdom of God, and that's the foundation for his message and ministry. We looked at prayer. Today we're going to look at deliverance, the fact that Jesus was setting captives free from Satan, sin, sickness, and disease, and he turns to his disciples, including us, and says, I want you to continue this ministry. And then next week, we're going to look at healing, restoring people, body, soul, and spirit through the power of God, the name of Jesus. And then we'll end the brief series by looking at how Jesus multiplied himself and empowers us to multiply ourselves and mobilize. So today, we're going to have our noses in the scriptures. And I would encourage you again to bring your Bible, old school, get a study Bible, wear it out, Start bringing it. We're in the cell phone age, but there is something about having your Bible with you 
and having history in it and writing notes in it. You might even want to bring a notebook, but I want us to be that kind of church. We have our Bibles and we use them often. So Lord, just before we look at your ministry of deliverance, we always depend on you and we ask for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. We welcome you, spirit of God, spirit of truth, who inspired the words of scripture to come and be our teacher as we look in to the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to look at the deliverance ministry of Jesus, the way that he delivered people from oppression, from demons, from evil spirits, and then we're going to take a moment briefly to look at the deliverance ministry of his followers, the church. Before we do that, there's some common errors regarding the existence of demons and deliverance. And I'm going to be using the word demon, evil spirit, interchangeably. It's basically spiritual forces that oppose God, that oppose Jesus, that oppose the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis says this in his great book, The Screwtape Letters, about demons conspiring against human beings. Listen to what he says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall, the human race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So these are the demons looking at the human race and saying, hmm, thankfully they fall into these two errors. They either don't believe or they're obsessed with them. And the demons are saying, we like both of those errors. We want more. And so as we look at this today, I understand it's 2021 and much of the culture, much of academia that I was in, has disregarded that there is a spiritual realm and that there are angels and demons, that there's a kingdom of God and a kingdom of darkness. And what we're going to see is that this was very important to Jesus. And whatever is important to him and a part of his ministry, his message, should therefore be important for us for all time until he returns. Amen? And so I want us to look at this with fresh eyes today. And I'm expecting that the timing of this, the Lord is going to be doing some things, that he wants to equip us as his church. And maybe some of you just need to work the rust out a little bit. That's me. I have experience with confronting demons and seeing Jesus drive demons out of people. And I stand before you today, I need a fresh infusion of faith and a fresh infusion, a fresh anointing to do this. Because, friends, there's a lot of demonized people in the world, including us. And what do I mean by that? We're going to look at it a little bit. But there are various forms and various degrees of oppression from the enemy. And I'm not going to go into that in great detail. What I want us to look at today is mainly Jesus did this. Jesus did it regularly. And it was a crucial part of his message, his mission, and his ministry. What Jesus said, we've seen this multiple times. Kaylee preached on it. It's been referenced. Todd referenced it. I have the kingdom of God 
was announced by Jesus. He inaugurated the kingdom of God in Mark 1. He said the kingdom is breaking in. It is setting in motion the recreation of humanity. And part of that was delivering and restoring human beings from demons. Very quickly here, I want to just point out to you there are seven instances in the Gospels of the deliverance ministry of Jesus. And I'm just going to click through these and then I'm going to go back and look at two in particular. And then I'm going to give some modern contemporary examples of people who followed the ministry model of Jesus and driving demons out of people to show us that it still happens today. The first instance, and again, you can write these down and look at them later, but we're going to look at the first two in a few moments. Seven instances recorded in the Gospels. The first is a man at the synagogue in Capernaum, and that's found in Mark 1, 21 to 28. Again, we'll go back and look at that. The second is the Gerizim demoniac, the man who lived in that region and had many demons in him. That's Mark 5, 1 to 20. And in Matthew's gospel, he actually mentions that it's two people. Mark focuses on one of them. We're not sure why, but he focuses on one. Could have been it was more dramatic. We don't know. A third instance where Jesus was casting demons out of people is the Syrophoenician woman's daughter in Matthew 15. A fourth is the blind and mute man in Matthew 12, 22 to 32. And again, there are gospel parallels. That's Mark 3, 20 to 30. Fifthly, we've seen the picture already. Jesus cast out demons quite often. Fifthly, a boy was possessed by a demon and Jesus set him free in Matthew 17, 14 to 21. A sixth example is in Matthew 8, 16 and 17, people were gathered at sunset and Jesus went and drove demons out of many people and healed many. And then finally in Matthew 9, a seventh example of Jesus delivering someone from a demon was a mute man in Matthew 9, 32 through 34. Do you see? The gospels are shot through with Jesus confronting demons and driving them out of people and setting them free. Sometimes it was coupled with healing. We'll look at that next week. There are other references in the Gospels. We read this. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Mark 16 and Luke 8 talk about that. Jesus continued to cast out demons even though one of the Roman governors opposed him and wanted to kill him. Luke 13 talks about that. So over and over again, Jesus is announcing the kingdom and then he's illustrating that the kingdom is here and in operation by plundering and binding the strong man and taking captives from him. So friends, I want to ask this morning, do you see the importance of this? We just looked at seven instances plus a few others very quickly. It was and is central. So I want to ask, why don't we practice the central part of discipleship and help bring deliverance to other people and exercise our authority regularly over the powers of evil? And I'm asking that question. I'm looking in the mirror. Why don't we do more of this? Jesus says in Matthew 28.20, as he looks at his disciples, he commissions them to be faithful, to make disciples, and to 
raise up disciples who are faithful to Jesus and to all of his teaching, and this is part of his teaching. We're going to see this is part of discipleship. This is part of ordinary Christian discipleship. Following Jesus means that we should be equipped and ready to drive demons out of people. Are you in? Are you in? So I propose this, that as we look at this, in the coming days, people are going to be seeking out Christians, maybe like we haven't seen in years, because they're oppressed, and they are afflicted by demons, and they know it. And so therefore, it's incumbent on us, as the followers of Jesus, as his church, to be prepared to bring relief to people. Do you want to bring relief to people? I certainly do, and oftentimes we get someone reading the Bible. We can lead them to Jesus. We can baptize them, but my goodness, if they're suffering and they've been afflicted by evil spirits, then they should be able to come to us, and we'll see that we're not alone in this. Jesus sent them out in pairs, and oftentimes the best way to do this is in pairs or in teams. So we are a hospital on the battlefield. We are a hospital. Why don't we say that together? We are a hospital on the battlefield. And so there are certain things that Jesus wants to teach us about delivering people in the battle. And some of you have experience in this. Some of you probably have more experience than I do. I know we have several people, and I think I'm going to have Al come up at the end and share a story. But we can always get better at it. We can always look at Jesus. How did you do it? Let me study. Let me meditate. Let me pray. Let me talk with other people. Let me read helpful resources so that I can be equipped to be a hospital, a worker in the hospital on the battlefield. So how did Jesus do it? I want to take two examples. The first is in Mark 1, 21 through 28. I'm going to read it here in a moment. And there are lots of things we could say about it, but we are going to zero in and look at the actions of Jesus. Each text has many aspects to it, many layers, but this morning we are looking at, in particular, what was it that Jesus was doing? How did he do this? What actions did he take? So Mark 1, 21 through 28. So they, Jesus and the disciples, went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? That sounds modern, doesn't it? What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. So here we're looking at 
How did Jesus do it? And friends, it leapt out at me. This happened in church, the church of his day. Let that sink in for a moment. The synagogue where the Jewish people gathered. And we see in Luke 4, oftentimes the the practice was for someone to open the scroll and read a text and explain it. And then the people prayed together. It was their equivalent of a church service. And so the first confrontation with the demon happened among the gathered people of God. What does that mean for us? It means that, yes, we will encounter demons out there for sure. But I am convinced that the Lord loves us so much. If we're in battle, you can expect to get barnacles, right? You can expect to be wounded. You can expect demons to attack the people of God. And I think we have an example here. So Jesus even calls deliverance in other places the children's bread. That there's something that God nourishes his people by setting them free from demons. So the, the context for this is the synagogue, the church. Jesus was teaching. We see this. At verse 22, they were astounded because he taught in a way that others didn't. He talked about the good news of the kingdom. He had parables that he illustrated who God is, who he is, God's ways in the world. He was regularly explaining the scriptures, but he taught with authority. And as we've seen, the the vineyard value of proclamation and demonstration. Jesus was the one who epitomized that. He would speak about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, the power of God to heal and restore, and then he would demonstrate it. He would show it, and that's what he's doing here. So at verse 25, look at the first verb that's used. What does Jesus do at verse 25? He rebukes the spirit. And it gives us the content of the rebuke. He rebukes the spirit and he says, be silent and come out of him. What is particularly interesting about this, and you can see this in Acts 19 and other places, it's explained, but Jesus did not have to pray a long prayer. Unlike many of the magicians of his day who claimed to be able to drive out spirits, there's no incantations here. There's no extended recitations of of anything. You read it right there. It's pretty short, isn't it? He rebuked the spirit. He said, be silent, come out. And what happens? It happens. That's what occurs. So he rebukes the spirit in verse 25. He silences the spirit. And we don't really know why the, the evil spirit is saying things that Jesus may not want to be announced in that context. It may be that The spirits are recognizing Jesus and the people aren't. That becomes a theme in Mark. Think about that. The demons realize the Son of God is here. God's Messiah is here. He's the Holy One of God. And he is going to send us to the abyss. The end of time is dawning upon us. The king is here. The kingdom is breaking through like never before. And we're terrified. Jesus Don't send us to the abyss. Is this the end? Meanwhile, Jesus' disciples and the religious leaders don't even recognize him. The demons do, but not his own followers at times. So he casts out the spirit, 
and the unclean spirit convulses him so there's a physical reaction to what's happening here and he cries out with a loud voice and the spirit comes out of him. Friends, this is our model, isn't it? It's short and sweet. Not a whole lot of detail here, but I would say that if this is the way Jesus did it, this is the way his followers should. That if and when we encounter someone who's demonized, they're oppressed, they may have a demon in them, they may have a demon on them. I'm not going to go into all the details of that. You can read it. Sam Storms does in his book. He addresses it a little bit. But the point is demon oppression. And Jesus sets people free, and he does it with short words. And I am just sensing that this is coming our way in the coming days. I was watching videos. Al and Wallace and others were sending me videos throughout the week. And I was watching people uh, get baptized. And in the baptismal waters, demons would shriek and come out of people. And the Christians that were there very confidently would say, come out in the name of Jesus. And they would get filled with the Holy Spirit. And it happens all over the world, including America. What I want to do here, I want to share a story with you taken from a book. And if you're interested in this stuff, this book is called Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. And I've mentioned this gentleman before, Craig Keener, is a New Testament scholar, and this will keep you up at night. I was reading this last night, and we were trying to watch a show, and I kept going, Amanda, can you pause? I got to read one more. Can you listen? And it's just filled with amazing modern stories. And Craig Keener, one of the leading New Testament scholars in the country, was an atheist. And he actually experienced the power of Jesus and became a Christian and has devoted much of his life to studying the scriptures and then modern examples. Craig married a a woman from Africa, and so he's been introduced to uh, African Christianity, and this book is just filled with modern-day examples of demons being driven out of people, and I thought I would just share a couple. How does that sound? Sound okay? And I want to make sure to share a variety of stories because the truth is it doesn't always happen the way the Son of God did it. We aspire to that, and we want that, and we have confidence that we can grow and that we can wield the authority of Jesus, but sometimes different things happen. That's why I want you to hear Al's story in a little bit. Sometimes it requires us growing in this, just like any other spiritual gift, but Craig Keener says this on page 816, and he's giving examples from all over the United States and all over the world, but he says, in Cuba, Yusparina Acosta Estevez, told me years ago, and he would interview the people and research these things. So this woman in Cuba says that years ago, she was invoking other spirits and was too sick to walk. When two pastors prayed for her in 1988, this woman recounts, she fell to the ground and all the chairs around her were also thrown back by the evil force of the spirits that were coming out. She was converted, she became a Christian, and her severe heart and kidney malfunctions ended instantly after the evil spirits were driven out of her. So friends, Jesus did it, and Jesus continues to do it, and therefore we have to study these scriptures 
and learn afresh. A second thing here, I want us to spend some time looking at Mark 5. So open up Mark 5. You can hang a right there from Mark 1. And I'm going to read what may be the most detailed and most profound deliverance that's illustrated in the Gospels. Mark 5, 1 to 20. And this is the story of the deliverance of the man among the tombs. And again, in other Gospels, it mentions two. So it may be that Mark is just focusing on one that perhaps had a more dramatic situation and outcome. We're not sure. But I want you to listen to this and think about this is a human being created in the image of God. And listen to his condition. Mark 5, 1 to 20. The disciples, they came to the other side of the sea. And it was the day before. Let me just say this. The day before in Mark 4, Jesus was exercising power and authority over the weather. That's when he commanded the the storm to be still. So we're going to see his authority and power demonstrated in another way in this chapter. So they come to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat... Immediately, a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he had wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces. And No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When Jesus saw from a distance, he ran, the man ran, and bowed down before him. When he saw Jesus, he bowed before him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He's asking the spirit. He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine pigs. It was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds, Those working with them, the farmers, ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion, and they were afraid Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him 
that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Wow. So verses 1 to 10, there's a clash, there's a confrontation, and I've got a slide up here. I looked for some ancient portrayals of this moment. If you can flick those, this one is from the 6th century in Italy. It's a mosaic here, and you can see Jesus and the man coming out of the cave on his knees and Jesus is driving the demon and then you can see on the far right the swine the pigs and they're running off the cliff into the water there's a second one here this is Jesus and this is a Serbian icon from the 17th century and it's showing the two men that were living in the tombs that Matthew speaks about and again you can see on the lower right there the lake where the evil spirits and the pigs are fleeing into the lake, but Christ has his hand extended and is setting them free from, from demons. So Jesus, again, what we want to do very quickly here is look at the actions of Jesus, and there are five of them. The first one found in verses 1 to 2 is Jesus goes. He had encountered a demonized person in the synagogue, but now... The Father is leading him and his disciples to the eastern side of Lake Galilee, to a largely Gentile region. And this demonized man, who lives as an outcast from all society, he's living among the caves and spaces, and oftentimes they were holes that were hewn out of the limestone rock, and they were used for burial, and they might store dead bodies there, and that was the place where this man was living. The text says, you, you heard it, he is violent and supernaturally strong, isn't he? The townspeople had bound him with a chain and shackles, but he kept breaking free. Picture that. Sometimes we encounter maybe a homeless person or someone else. We used to live in a little suburb outside of Chicago, and we would encounter people that were marginalized and who walked the streets, and many of them were demonized. They weren't shackled. They weren't in chains, but people would be fearful of them. Imagine how much more here. This man could not be restrained, and he would howl at night and cut himself with stones. Perhaps it was part of a pagan worship ritual. We see that in the first century. So the man was demonized big time. And the demons were attempting to damage and ultimately destroy this man who was created in the image of the Holy Trinity. It was their aim. The man sees Jesus from a distance. He runs and he falls on his knees before him in submission. And he's basically saying, Jesus, why are you bothering me? Why are you here to bother me? In God's name, please don't torture me. Verse 8, what does Jesus do? You can see that Jesus again confronts and commands. And this verse lets us know 
that the conflict had already been happening. So it's kind of letting us know previously that Jesus had already been saying, come out of the man. It's interesting here. Do you notice that this one is different than the exorcism at Capernaum? He said it multiple times. It appears in the first one that we looked at, Jesus said it one time. Here he's saying it multiple times. Why? The text doesn't tell us. Could it be because there's a legion of demons in him? Perhaps. Perhaps he's confronting many of the demons that are in him. But this is encouraging to me because the deliverance ministry I've been a part of, it usually is multiple times that I'm saying, come out in the name of Jesus. Come out in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's usually multiple times, and we have biblical precedent for that. Jesus had been confronting him, had been confronting the demons. And then Jesus asks a question at verse 9, doesn't he? Look at that. Jesus asks him, and it's interchangeable here. He's talking to the demon who has voiced things in the man. He says, what is your name? And he replies, my name is a legion. A legion was a Roman military unit in the first century that was around 6,000 men. And so this man had a host, a battalion of demonic spirits making their home in him. And the demons, this is a strange part of the story, isn't it? They beg Jesus to be sent not out of the area. Please don't send us out of the area. Don't send us to the abyss for eternal judgment. But would you let us enter that large herd of pigs on the nearby hillside? You should be scratching your head. Like, what in the world? But this is just what the text says. Our modern minds are like, why would Jesus allow harm to animals? Right? You pig lovers out there. You animal lovers, the text does not say, but we have to see this from a Jewish perspective, right? A man who was considered unclean because he was living among the place of the dead, living in an unclean place, tormented by unclean spirits, is delivered while the spirits enter unclean animals. The pigs were considered unclean by the Jewish people. So perhaps there's something being signaled in the text that this man is worth more than pigs. You've been treating him like an outcast. You're treating him like an animal. And I'm here to set him free and to illustrate that this man created in the image of God is worth more than all your livestock. And the people did not think so. We could talk about this. I know we're right at ending time here, but I want to take just a few minutes to wrap up. Is that all right with you? We've had so much going on on these Sundays, and I just want to make sure that there's enough space here. So the highlight, really the zenith of the text here, is when we see the condition of the man. Look at verse 15. This man who had lived among the tombs and been treated like an animal and had thousands of demonic spirits in him. They come and the townspeople see the demonized man sitting there, look at that, clothed and in his right mind for the first time. Friends, this got the attention 
of the neighborhood, of the whole region. The Decapolis was a cluster of 10 cities, largely Gentile cities. And so what I want us to see here, we do not want to respond to the deliverance ministry of Jesus like these people did. They were afraid, weren't they? Rightly so. You've got this demonized man howling and gashing himself, shackled, and Jesus sets him free, and yet they were afraid, and they asked Jesus to leave. Perhaps part of that is, hey, you've killed some of our livestock, and I want to say that perhaps they couldn't understand or control him. Do we feel that way about the power of God? Friends, there are certain things that we may not understand. You may not be able to control. That's part of life in the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I want to acknowledge like never before that the Lord's ways are higher than our ways. And we can't fully understand it. And we certainly cannot control the power of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we study the scriptures and we say, Jesus, we want to do it the way you did it. And if you drove demons out of people, would you equip us and mobilize us to do the same? And we've got to trust God. Jesus teaches multiple times, but in Luke 11, he says, when we ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father gives us the Spirit. The Father gives us authority in the name of Jesus. The Father gives us power to drive out demons. We should not be afraid. shouldn't be afraid that we could be led into strangeness that the Lord would allow that to happen. We want to walk in the authority of Jesus. Al, why don't you come up? And while Al is coming up, I want to share one last story here, a modern story that parallels this, and then Al will share his story. So this is again from Craig Keener. Listen to this again. So it's not just a first century situation here. This is the story of a man named Marino Shedd who was wandering around terrorizing people in his town on the Pompeii Island in the Pacific for 20 years. Finally, Steve Malachi, a pastor on that island, sounds kind of like Guam, doesn't it? And another believer with him came and confronted the spirits and cast them out of Marino's shed. And now Marino, transformed, is loved by his entire community on the island and is involved in a respectable profession and is a follower of Jesus. Friends, it happened in the first century and it happens now. That's a modern example of Jesus setting a man free who lived like a tear on the outskirts. Al, why don't you share with us the story and then we'll see what the Lord wants to do. Yeah, this encounter in 1994 approximately changed my entire life. And people say something changed your life. This one really did change my life. Uh, completely turned my worldview upside down. Changed my entire perspective on what is true. Um, just changed it in an instant. So in, in that time period, I was in my mid-20s. And I was doing a youth ministry here in town. And a young man... Uh, came to know the Lord through a youth event we had, and his mother was involved in deep darkness, all kinds of immorality, even as a profession, and um, drug abuse. So I would go over to Dell City 
and, and spent time with this young man and a friend of his. Um, and in that process, he revealed to me that his grandmother had given him a spirit helper. Well, I was fairly new to the Lord. I'd been a believer about three years maybe, and um, I'd read a little bit uh, theoretically on spiritual warfare. It was all in theory. It was uh, all through textbook. And I knew that a spirit helper is not something probably hospitable. Um, well, anyway, I kept going back to Dell City, and in the process of, of his conversion, he also went back to his middle school. He was a ninth grader and led his best friend to the Lord. So the plan was I was going to go over to Dell City, after school one day, and lead them in Bible study. So I went on a weekday over to Kerr Middle School, waited for them to get done with football practice. I mean, this story was 26 years ago, 27 years ago. It feels like it was yesterday. I remember waiting for them, and it was, it was hot, got their pads off, they changed, and I got them in my little Ford Ranger pickup, tiny little pickup, and we drove over to the Brahms on Sunny Lane and probably got a milkshake, opened our Bibles up, and I'm just going to... Just for um, confidentiality, his name was John. And I remember we sat down at one of the tables at one of the booths in Brahms and opened up the Bible and started reading. Well, whenever John would begin reading the Bible, he started looking over his shoulder, distracted. And I'd worked with a lot of young people, so I was a little bit irritated that I drove all the way to Dell City, and he's not paying attention, but I, th- I thought that was typical ninth grade behavior. So I probably said, hey, let's focus in here. And he kept looking over his shoulder really... Um, uh, just agitated. And I said, what's going on? And he said, well, I hear these voices. Don't you hear them screaming? And I said, no, I don't hear any voices. He said, they're screaming at me. So immediately my curiosity has peaked a little bit. And I had just read a book on spiritual warfare, so I was a little in tune with what may be going on, but still it was hypothetical and, and theoretical. We kept trying to read the Bible, and as he would begin to read the passage of Scripture out loud, he would begin to fall asleep as if he had narcolepsy right there in the Brahms. 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, people walking around, broad daylight. And so the little bit of spiritual discernment I had, I thought, this could be spiritual warfare. So let's go out of my truck and pray. So we went out to the parking lot, got in my truck. So it's me, this young man, and his best buddy sitting in the cab of a little pickup. Now, at that time, I was carrying around a little vial of oil that I bought at a, books, a Christian bookstore, and I wanted to anoint I was looking for anybody to anoint with this oil. And so um, I thought, well, he's my first victim. So I asked him. Now, this is a kid who has grown up in incredible um, darkness. Um, if I even began to describe the family situation that he lived in, you would, you would sit here and weep. And so these kids, there was no protocol. Um, you didn't have to do things right. So I said, can I anoint you with oil? And he said, Sure. So, you know, I don't know why I did this, but I think I've probably seen it in movies. I took my oil out, and I put a cross on his forehead, and I said these words, probably from being around vineyard stuff. I said, come Holy Spirit. The second I said, come Holy Spirit, everything came unglued. The second I said, his eyes rolled into the back of his head, total white, and he went into a grand mal seizure. Well, everything in my little book I just read went completely out the window. And I totally panicked. Fear just filled the truck. But this wasn't just a a shaking. This was a violent seizure that shook the whole truck. And so it's like in a car wreck. You you can't even begin to think what's happening. Your mind, everything slows down. And all I could do was say the name of Jesus one or two times. And when I did that, the seizure subsided by maybe 50%. And his arm was still shaking like this. And the minute I stopped saying the name of Jesus, right back into the, the grand mal seizure again. 
So you're processing all this in milliseconds. So what I had discerned, the name of Jesus is what I need to use here. And so I stuttered with great desperation and only a little bit of authority, peace in the name of Jesus, peace in the name of Jesus. I probably said it three to five times. And as I did, I mean, everything's happening so fast. The seizure begins to subside. And finally, I just said, peace in the name of Jesus with some authority. It stopped. His eyes rolled back, and he had no recollection that even happened. And my heart is jumping through my shirt. And his little buddy over here on the passenger seat, he's undone. So as a responsible youth leader, I took him to his house and dropped him off in his front yard. I mean, today I think I might, might have been tempted to go to the emergency room. Um, but it was, my worldview changed in a split second. Now, a few weeks later, we took him to a worship event, and as soon as the worship started, something very similar happened. We took him to a back room, and I remember trying to pray for him, and I said, go get John Bingham and go get Johnny. And people were like, so they went to go get Johnny. We, we just kind of recounted this story last month, and he said, go tell Al to take care of that himself. And, and he knows what to do. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And so I remember I was unsuccessfully trying to cast this demon out, and finally Johnny came back and walked in the room and just said, stop it in the name of Jesus, with great authority, and it shut down. And Johnny goes, you've got to learn how to do this. Um, I was only 25 at the time, so um, I was pretty clueless. The, the, the end of that story is not good. Um, he ended up committing a very violent crime and, and ended up going to the penitentiary. So I don't know what happened to him, but, it, but this is what happened to me in the process. It was where the theoretical of God's kingdom became concrete, I'd been a believer, I'd read the Bible, but still so much of it was, it was to me, I was like, is this real? Is this real? And there's a scene in one of the Star Wars movies where Han Solo says, everything you've heard about the Force, all the stories, they're true. Well, for me, I was like, it's all true. The Bible is true. God is real. Jesus is powerful. Demons do exist. I just knew it. And I don't care if you were the most devout atheist, your worldview would have changed. I mean, there was, it was completely um, real. I realized that there is an unseen world. It's very, very real. Um, I also realized through that that demons don't want us to hear truth. I mean, it's really interesting that demons don't want to, us to read the Bible. And then I just realized the name of Jesus will shut down the demonic. But it has to be, it has to be combined with faith. There's an interaction of faith and the name of Jesus. So um, that story changed my life, and I've had subsequent stories, but that one rocked my world. And today, it's just like it, it's like it happened yesterday. So why don't you stay up here? I know we're a little bit over, so here's what I want to do. Why don't we stand? We can have the worship team come up, but I don't want to miss the window of opportunity here. And I want to invite those, two, two things here. If you sense that you need a fresh anointing and that you need to revisit this or maybe visit it for the first time and you want to have fresh authority, fresh power, fresh anointing to confront evil spirits and drive them out, I'm going to ask you to come up and we're going to pray, pray for that together. So if that's you, come up and I'm going to ask a ministry team to come up and an elder, I'm going to ask the elders and elders' wives if you're able to come up here and friends, we want to be that hospital on the battlefield 
And we want to be prepared. We want to be well-versed in the scriptures. But as Al is saying here, we don't want to just be theoreticians. We want to practice it. So a second group I want to ask to come up, and I'm going to address this more next week, just so you know. And that is you sense that you may actually have some demonic oppression in your life. And there's no better place, just like the synagogue at Capernaum, you may need fresh prayer today. You may need one of these people to pray for you in the name of Jesus and for us to address head on the addiction, the secret sin, the stronghold, whatever it might be. And friends, I want us to be prepared in the coming days. Just like Jesus did this in synagogue, we may have people coming into the church who may be here today, and we may hear physical responses. The text says that the man shrieked. We may see that, and we want to be a people that are prepared. It's called New Testament Christianity. It's called the ordinary Christian life. And we want to bring friends and colleagues and others that we meet out in the world and bring them into the presence of God and see people set free. Do we not?